Acts chapter 2 in our Bible is where we're going to be today. If you would turn there, please, to Acts chapter 2. And in the book of Acts, we learn very quickly what we're about to see from this passage this morning. We are about to be introduced to the coming of the Holy Spirit of God. This is a really important moment in the storyline of the Bible, and in Acts chapter 2, we see very quickly three very important things that are happening uh, right away. The first is that this event in Acts chapter 2, this is a one-time event where the Spirit of God is permanently given to the people of God. Through the Old Testament, of course, the Spirit of God would come, and he would uh, give people the power and the strength to do something at a certain time in a certain place uh, for a certain purpose, to exalt the name of God, to give glory to God, to accomplish that task, and then the Spirit of God would go from that place. But now the Spirit comes to live permanently in the followers of Jesus Christ. The second thing that we see happening early in the book of Acts here in chapter 2 is that the church is created. The church is created. So for the very first time in the book of Acts, the people of God come together as the church of God under the banner of the Son of God. And then the third thing that happens here in the book of Acts is that the church begins to urgently pursue the mission of God through the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church is now going and doing what Christ has saved them to do, what Christ has sent them to do. So you could say that here, early in the book of Acts, the church is being set up and sent out. The church is being set up by Jesus Christ and then sent out by Jesus Christ to fulfill the great commission of Jesus Christ. And those two things, being set up and sent out, are brought together by this one thing that is happening in Acts chapter 2 in our passage this morning, the coming of the Holy Spirit of God. The early church here in Acts chapter 2 is about to be visited by such power from heaven in the person of the Holy Spirit of God that it will literally change everything for them. Nothing will be the same for them. Literally, they will not see things the same way. They will not do things the same way. They will not feel things the same way. They will not say things the same way because they now have access to the supernatural power of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit of God. And I wonder, do we see the Holy Spirit of God in the very same way? Do we really understand and appreciate the power and the presence of the Spirit of God that we see here in the book of Acts and, and realize that, that the power of the Spirit of God that we see in the book of Acts is the same power of the same Spirit who lives in us? Because sometimes, even unknowingly, we give off little clues sometimes that we don't really understand the person and the power and the presence of the Spirit within our lives or even within the church. How many times have you been in a conversation with someone and, and they're saying something like, yeah, God did this for me and I know that Jesus loves me and oh, by the way, the Spirit, it did this for me. We refer to the Spirit of God as it and, and that may happen for some of us just out of habit. We may not even realize that we're doing it but it could also reveal that maybe we don't really understand the power and the presence and the person of the Spirit of God within our lives or even within the church. And truthfully, this can be a challenge for us as a church as well to speak properly of the Spirit of God. Here in our church, we love the Word of God. 
It's one of our core values. It's one of the pillars of our church that we proclaim the authority of God's word without apology. We are committed to proclaiming God's word and holding up God's word and living by God's word and teaching God's word and spreading God's word. We're committed to all of those things. And in that, the temptation becomes very real for us as a church who instead of loving Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we end up loving Father, Son, and Holy Bible. And we can get to that place where we hold up God's word so high, as we should, but we hold it up so high to the point where we miss what the word of God itself is teaching us about the power of the spirit of God who is within us. And yet, it's the word of God that shows us with such clarity and precision about the power and the presence and the person of the spirit of God within our lives. So I encourage all of us, as we come to this passage this morning in Acts chapter 2, that, that we approach this passage today with a fresh eagerness to hear from the Spirit of God about what he has to teach us today, about the work that he is doing in our lives and wants to continue to do in us even today. And so let's start with this in Acts chapter 2. You can jot this down. The Spirit of God is the power of God for the people of God to do the work of God. The Spirit of God is the power of God for the people of God to do the work of God. This is the big idea that comes out of this passage here in Acts chapter 2. And we're going to make our way through these first 13 verses of Acts 2. And, and I want to show you as we go through, I want to show you seven aspects of the Spirit's power. And then I pray that will lead us into three answers to the Spirit's power within our lives. So seven aspects of the power of the Spirit of God that I pray leads us to three responses within our lives then as we make our way through this passage. But before we do that, let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit of God. And we acknowledge again this morning, just here in this gathering, that we can do absolutely nothing apart from the power of the Spirit of God within us. We cannot hear this word, we cannot understand this word, we cannot apply this word to our lives apart from the power of the Spirit of God. And so Holy Spirit, we ask in humility before you, would you please come and would you teach us and would you help us to understand everything that you desire for us to know this morning? Nothing more, nothing less. Show us the power and the wonder of who you are within our lives. Teach us with such great clarity, Lord. Help us, help me in this time to be faithful to your word, to speak only what your word speaks. For you, Holy Spirit, have inspired this perfect word and given it to us. It's useful for everything that we do. So Holy Spirit, we, we turn to you now and we ask for your help, that you would do the primary thing that you have been given to us to do, that is to exalt Jesus Christ within our lives and within this gathering right now. So help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so what do we see here in Acts chapter 2 about the Spirit's power? Notice this first, number one. The Spirit's power is unrestrained. The Spirit's power is unrestrained. In other words, the Spirit of God is not bound by time or circumstance. So notice chapter 2 in verse 1. It says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, 
Now that word arrived in verse one, that's an important word and that's, that word means so much more than this day just happened to come on the calendar next and, and it means so much more than uh, things just so happened to take place on this particular day. This word arrived is a word of timing. It's a word of timing. The spirit of God is working according to his specific plan to accomplish his sovereign purpose. Now, the day of Pentecost was an important time for the Jewish people. The day of Pentecost was also known as the Feast of Harvest because it celebrated the completion of the grain harvest. Uh, the day of Pentecost was also known as the Feast of Weeks. And uh, personally, that's my all-time favorite of all the biblical feasts, the Feast of Weeks. I think we're going to start celebrating that one at my house. And um, it was called the Feast of Weeks because the day of Pentecost happened 50 days after the Passover. So seven weeks 50 days after the Passover, so Pentecost, penta, meaning 50. It happens 50 days after the Passover, and, and this was a massive celebration for the people. It was one of three annual feasts that all of the Jewish people would come all the way to Jerusalem to celebrate together, and it was absolutely huge. We're going to talk about the day of Pentecost a little bit later on this morning, but for now, the point simply is this. The Spirit of God is working according to His specific plan to accomplish His sovereign purpose. Spirit of God knew that all of these people were coming together in Jerusalem on this day, at this time, for this feast. He knew that this was going to happen, and he knew that this was the day that he had sovereignly chosen to pour out his Holy Spirit upon the people. We need to understand that the Spirit works according to his specific plan to accomplish his sovereign purpose. There was a time early in our ministry when Stacy and I thought that God was swinging a door for ministry wide open for us. And uh, we had all of our ducks lined up in a row, and uh, we had gone through a fairly intense process with, um, with some people to try and discern if this was actually what God wanted us to do. And, and so we had gone through this process. We had gotten to the very end of it, only to have this door that we thought was swinging wide open for us, uh, to have it not so gently slammed shut in our face. And it just happened like all of a sudden. And we were given reasons as to why it happened. And we didn't really, uh, like we, we got the reasons, but we didn't really understand it because we were so deeply emotionally invested in this process right from the beginning. So to get to that point and the door is slammed shut in our face and it was like absolutely devastating. And, and that then led us into a season in our life where um, it was some of the most painful and difficult and doubt-filled times of our life, not just in ministry, but really of life itself. And, and we went through a lot of times, I went through a lot of times personally where I was just like, God, why? Like, why? Like, it doesn't make any sense. We had all the ducks lined up in a row. We had gone through the whole process, get to the very end, and then the door slammed shut. Like, why? Like, God, if, if you had left that door open for us and we were able to walk through that, then that would have saved a lot of discouragement. It would have saved a lot of pain. It would have saved a lot of difficulty. All the questions asked, all the tears cried. Like, it just would have saved all of that. God, why didn't you just leave that door open for us to walk through? And isn't it interesting that some time can pass in your life, and for us now, that's been more than 20 years ago, but isn't it interesting how you can trace that line all the way back in your life to that moment and realize that if God had not closed that door for us more than 20 years ago, then we probably never would have ended up in the place that we were at after that where we needed time to heal. And then we probably never would have made it to the place after that where we needed time to grow. 
And then we probably never would have made it to this place right here in this church with all of you where, quite frankly, we have seen the hand of the power of the Spirit of God work with such strength and frequency like we have never seen in church before. And we have never seen that. And, and just to trace that, like to look back in your life and trace that line all the way back to see God's grace and then to legitimately, to genuinely get to that place in your life where you can say, thank you, Spirit of God. Like, Spirit of God, I praise you that you closed that door in my life more than 20 years ago, and you did all of the work within my life that you needed to do to get me to where I am today. Listen, loved ones, when you are frustrated by God's timing in your life, and when you're frustrated by the reality that God's not moving quick enough, or, or maybe you're in a place where God's moving too quick and you feel completely overwhelmed by what's going on, we need to remember that the Spirit of God is working according to His specific plan to accomplish His sovereign purpose within your life. See, we need to hold on to the reality that the Spirit's power is unrestrained, which helps us understand the next aspect of the Spirit's power. Number two, the Spirit's power is unexpected. Notice the start of verse 2. First two words in verse 2. And suddenly. The Spirit's power is unexpected. The end of verse 1 says that they were all together in one place. All 120 of the disciples gathered together in the same room and they're worshiping together. And it's into that context that the Spirit of God comes and shows himself in power. Reminds me of what happens a little bit later in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 4, the church is gathered. They're worshiping and they're praying together in the midst of their persecution. And the Spirit of God comes in such power that he shakes the place where they're gathering and does supernatural things in their presence. Reminds me later of Acts chapter 12 and the church gathers and prays for Peter's release from prison and the Spirit of God comes and rattles the prison doors and Peter is released and the people can't believe it and God is glorified in it. And then Acts chapter 13, the very next chapter, the church gathers to worship and pray and fast and the Spirit of God comes and makes it abundantly clear that the people are to set aside Barnabas and Saul to go and take the message of the gospel to parts of the world that at that point had never even heard the name of Jesus yet. Like we know that the Spirit of God is gonna work, right? We know that. We know that to be true. The Spirit of God is going to work but we don't always know when or how he's going to work. Like, nobody got up that morning in Acts chapter 12 and thought to themselves, huh, like, today's going to be the day that we pray and an angel comes and busts the handcuffs off Peter's wrists and swings open an iron gate and Peter walks out of prison a free man. Like, nobody got up that morning thinking that was what was going to happen. But it did. Because the Spirit of God came and moved in power. We know that the Spirit of God is going to work, Right? We know that he's going to work, but there's another level on which we don't know exactly how or when he's going to work. We know that the Spirit of God is going to do certain things within our life because the Word of God makes it clear that as he lives within us, he will do certain things for us. There's that other level where we don't know how he's going to work, we don't know when he's going to work, but we do know that he is working and he will continue to work which makes the next aspect of his work all the more amazing. Number three, the Spirit's power is unequaled. Spirit's power is unequaled. Notice verse two. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Now notice three things that are happening here. The Spirit's power is unequaled. First thing that happens, this comes from heaven. 
So this is not just a natural phenomenon that's happening here that can be explained by a weather system or a temperature change. No, this is supernatural. This is coming down upon them from heaven. And then the second thing, it sounds like a mighty rushing wind. That word for wind there in that verse is the same Greek and Hebrew word for spirit. So the spirit is moving. And this is not just a bit of a breeze on a nice summer day that ruffles a few of the leaves out of the trees. No, this is like a tornado on steroids. Like this is huge. This is massive. There's no, nobody's missing this. And then notice this third thing. It fills the entire house where they are sitting. So all 120 of them, they're all gathered together in this very same room, in this very same place, and they're all experiencing the very same thing. They see the power of the Spirit of God moving among them. They see it, and they hear it, and they feel it, and they experience something similar to what Ezekiel might have experienced in the Valley of Dry Bones. Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel is brought by the Spirit of God down to this valley, and, and the base of this valley is covered with dry bones. Like just imagine that, the, the whole valley from from top to bottom, just covered with dry bones, which represents a nation of Israel that is spiritually dead. They've turned away from God, and, and the Spirit of God tells Ezekiel to speak to these dry bones, and he does. And, and when he does, these bones start to rattle and shake. Like the words in Ezekiel 37 literally mean it was like an earthquake of bones. And, and so just try and picture that in your mind, like this hundreds of thousands of bones just covering the base of this valley and they all start to rattle and the sound is deafening and all of a sudden these bones start to stand up and they're being held together by ligaments and tendons and sinew and then there's skin that covers the outside of these bones and develops these bodies but Ezekiel's looking at these in front of him and he sees that there's no life in them. And so the Spirit of God says to him, speak to the breath and tell the breath to come and give life to these bodies. And so Ezekiel does what the Spirit of God tells him to do. And the Spirit of God breathes breath into these new bodies and makes them come alive and does amazing, spectacular, supernatural things from that. The Spirit of God is committed to bringing true life to his people. So now, when this mighty rushing wind comes and fills this place where the 120 disciples are gathered, it is a clear sign that only the Spirit can breathe power into people who are spiritually alive, but it's also a clear sign that only the Spirit can breathe life into people who are spiritually dead. Only the Spirit of God can make them alive. And it's only the Spirit of God that makes you and me alive in Jesus Christ. Spirit's power is unequaled. Think for a minute. Think of where you came from. Think of your own, think of the life that Jesus Christ has saved you from. Think of what your life was like before him. And then the Spirit of God comes and breathes new life into you and he rescues you from that life and he gives you new life in Jesus Christ. And we can go around, we can tell stories of all of our different backgrounds, all of our different experiences, and all the different things that, that Jesus Christ has saved us from. And it just goes to show us that the Spirit, the power of the Spirit of God is totally unequaled. That the power of the Spirit that breathed life into me and saved me is the same Spirit of God that breathed life into you and saved you, regardless of your circumstances. His power is unequaled. Notice verse 3. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them, and rested on each one of them. Notice the word tongues. What do you do with your tongue? You speak. 
And then there's the word fire. So often fire represents the presence of the Spirit of God. These are tongues of fire. So not only is the Spirit of God committed to saving his people, but the Spirit of God is committed to sending his people. See this, these tongues of fire, the Holy Spirit is our source of bold, enthusiastic, burning passion to proclaim the message of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. The Spirit's power is unrestrained and unexpected and unequaled, but that then walks us right into the heart of this passage in verse 4, where we see aspect number 4. Notice this, the Spirit's power is unhindered. The Spirit's power is unhindered. Verse 4, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now what's happening here is really, really important. These believers are being filled with the Holy Spirit, which is different from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So this is going to be a great place for an amen. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit means that the Spirit of God permanently lives within you as a believer in Jesus Christ. You guys did so much better in the early service, man. Way to go. Okay? The indwelling of the Holy Spirit means that the Spirit of God permanently lives within you as a believer in Jesus Christ, and there is nothing that can take that away from you. And that indwelling happens at the moment of your conversion. It happens at the moment of your salvation. There is no need for you or me to wait for another experience whereby we receive the Spirit of God because we receive the Spirit of God at the moment of our conversion. But this in, in verse 4, this experience of the disciples, they are being filled with the Holy Spirit. And being filled with the Holy Spirit, this is an ongoing, repetitive occurrence that needs to keep happening within the life of a believer in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul highlights this in Ephesians 5, verse 18, up on the screen. It says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the the Spirit. The way that sentence is written in Ephesians 5, it means be continually being filled with the Spirit. Be continually being filled with the Spirit. It indicates that we need to keep surrendering our lives to the power of the Spirit of God within us to fill us and give us what we need to walk in obedience to Jesus Christ. So notice what happens here when these people are filled with the Spirit of God. When they're filled with the Spirit of God, they have the power of God to do the work of God. So verse 4 says, And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That word tongues, which shows up again down in verse 11, the word utterance, the word language in verses 6 and 8, they're all talking about a specific dialect a language that is known by the people listening, but is not known by the people speaking. 
So understand that this is a language that is known by the people listening, but not by the people speaking. So see what's happening here. The Spirit's power is unhindered. He is doing this. This is supernatural power of the Spirit at work in this moment. And so the Spirit of God is filling them, and they're speaking languages that are not known to them. Why? so that they can proclaim the good news of the gospel to people who need Jesus Christ and to do this in a way that they would not be able to do had the Spirit of God not been with them. See, we need to, we need to make sure we don't lose our grip on the main point of this passage. The main point of this passage is not that the Spirit of God comes and then everybody starts speaking in tongues. The main point of this passage is that the Spirit of God comes at all, and that when he comes, he proves with absolute clarity that the Spirit of God is the power of God for the people of God to do the work of God. Like every time, that's why he comes. And and it's the same thing for us. Like when the Spirit of God comes to me and, and lives within me at the moment of my conversion, same thing for you. He gives us gifts and he equips us and he fills us. We keep coming back to him for his filling so that we can walk in obedience to Jesus Christ and, and serve him. And so the Spirit of God comes and some lead and some preach and some teach and some help and some organize and some are administrators and some are encouragers and so on and so on and so on. And every single time, it simply proves the reality that the Spirit of God is the power of God for the people of God to do the work of God. And we need that. We need the power of the Spirit within us. I think of that time when about 160 of us, adults and kids together, planted this church almost five years ago. And uh, there was a point in that process, long before I had met anyone here in Brantford, long before I had met anyone here in this church, where I was ready to walk away from the whole church planting thing because I was absolutely convinced that I did not have what it takes to be a church planter. And I just had it in my head. I was convinced, had this preconceived idea that you had to be a certain person with certain qualities, certain characteristics that, that I just didn't have. And so uh, it looked too big and too overwhelming. I was just ready to walk away. And, and then over time, the Spirit of God began to change my mind. The Spirit of God began to change my heart. The Spirit of God strengthened me in my weakness. And he made it so clear that this is what we needed to do and this is the direction that we needed to go. And then almost five years ago, we planted this church, and then the Spirit of God totally confirmed that I do not have what it takes to plant a church, and, and he's still proving that again today. And, and listen, the, the point is, if the Spirit of God does not equip me, and if the Spirit of God does not strengthen me, then I'm not here. Like, like literally right now, I'm not here if the Spirit of God doesn't do this. Like I'm probably curled up in a corner somewhere in a pool of my own drool or something. And, and it's just, it's not going to be a good day if the Spirit of God's not with me. But, but the Spirit of God is with me and he brought about that change within my life. And, and the same thing is true for you. However it is that the Spirit of God is calling you to walk in faith and in obedience to Jesus Christ. Like we all have these places. We can all find these places in our life where the Spirit of God floods into your weakness. Like, just think about it, right? Like, when water comes down a hill, the water automatically goes to the lowest place, and it fills the lowest place. And when we come, and we, we lower ourselves before God, and we come before the Spirit of God in humility and say, fill us, the Spirit of God is just going to come down, and it's going to fill the lowest places of us so that we can do things for his kingdom that we could never do for ourselves. 
Like the spirit of God is never held back or pushed down by a circumstance that looks too big for us. Which leads us then to number five. The spirit's power is unparalleled. Take a look at verse five. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together at the sound of the mighty rushing wind that was coming through at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? The Spirit's power is unparalleled. They hear the believers speaking to them in their own language. They're amazed by this. In verse seven, somebody in the crowd pipes up and says, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? The Galileans were often the most uncultured and uneducated among uh, the, the culture, and they were often looked down upon because their pronunciation was so poor, which I think just serves to show how unparalleled the power of the Spirit actually is. That he can take uneducated people who can barely speak their own dialect well, and he can cause them to perfectly speak the dialects of multiple languages that they had never heard before so that unbelieving people are able to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ for the very first time. And aren't we, aren't we these Galileans? Like, thinking back to some of the conversations maybe that you've had and you're trying to share the gospel with somebody that you care about so much and, and it just feels like the words are fumbling out of your mouth. You know what that's, anybody else? Or is it just me? No? Okay. Okay, I'm not alone. So the words just kind of fumble out of your mouth, and then you think back to yourself later. Like, if I had that conversation over again, I would have said this, and then I would have said that, and surely they would have been saved, like, right there in front of me. And, and we, we just think to ourselves, right, just fumbling out of our mouths. Praise the Spirit of God that he can take broken vessels like us and still use us to do extraordinary things for the glory and the exaltation of Jesus Christ. That somehow, like think about this, somehow people still get saved even when the words fumble out of us. Why? Because it's not up to us. It's the Spirit's power that is unparalleled. Not only is this power unparalleled, but then notice this, number six, the Spirit's power is unlimited. It's what we see in verse nine. This guy Standing in the middle of the crowd, he keeps going and he says, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Like this guy covers the whole map. Spirit's power is unlimited. All of these places are are almost all of the world that they would have known at this time. Like from north to south and east to west, which is really interesting because what's happening here on the day of Pentecost is, is the beginning of the unraveling of the curse at the Tower of Babel. Do you remember that? Genesis chapter 11, in their pride, the people try and build a tower that reaches from earth to heaven. And when God sees it, he brings judgment on the people for their pride by confusing their languages and scattering the nations. But now, with the arrival of the Spirit, those barriers are being supernaturally overcome. And the languages are being proclaimed, and the nations are coming together in Jesus Christ, which just then 
points us even further ahead to that great day in the book of Revelation when John says, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Like, just imagine that. Come, Lord Jesus, right? Like, just imagine that day when we're going to be gathered around the throne and look at what John says. People from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and what? And languages. Like, everybody, all these people that he's talking about here, gathered around the throne. Because of Jesus Christ, the gospel is now for people of all nations, So the Spirit of God is not limited in his scope, and because of that, the gospel then is not limited in its scope either. Which leads us then to one final aspect of the Spirit's power. Notice this, number seven. The Spirit's power is unfathomable. Verse 12. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. So just imagine, try and put yourself in this gathering here and this group of people and, and there's a whole bunch of people and, and everybody is seeing and hearing and experiencing everything that's happening in that moment and there's some who are mocking and they're joking and they're making light and making fun of everything that's going on and, and they're saying they're drunk. They're drunk. Is that not the dumbest thing you've ever heard? Like seriously, how many people do you know that in the midst of their deepest drunkenness just all of a sudden speak a new language? Right? Like it's, it's crazy. But doesn't it just go to show you that unbelieving people will always be ready with a natural explanation for supernatural work? But don't miss the reality that there's some within this crowd, verse 12, who genuinely asked, what does this mean? What does this mean? Before we get to that, remember verse 1 tells us that all of this is happening on the day of Pentecost. I told you we'd come back to this. It's all taking place on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost, again, was celebrated 50 days after the Passover. And so it would take all of these Jewish people who were familiar with their history, it would take them all the way back to the very first Passover, all the way back in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 12. And how 50 days later, after that very first Passover, the people are gathered together and they're standing at the foot of Mount Sinai. 50 days after that very first Passover, standing at the foot of Mount Sinai where God gives them the law and he makes this people his own, this people who would follow him. And God comes down on Mount Sinai and he meets his people and the Lord descends on the mountain in fire and the people are terrified because they are certain that if they get any closer to God, they are surely going to die. And so they plead with Moses to be the one who will go to God for them and and to intercede, to be their mediator. So when the people sin, Moses prays for them. And when God wants to destroy the people in his judgment against their sin because of their stubbornness, Moses steps in for them. Like, All of these people are familiar with these things that happened at the first Passover and the first day of Pentecost. So now we fast forward to Acts chapter 2 to this day of Pentecost. And 50 days after the Passover, 
People are gathered together again only 50 days before, having stood not at the foot of Mount Sinai, but instead standing at the foot of Mount Calvary, where the ultimate Passover lamb had just been sacrificed, just been crucified. And now, celebrating Pentecost, God comes down and he meets his people again. God descends on them, not with fire on a mountain, but with something like tongues of fire that land on their heads. And this time, the word that comes out of the people is not the law, it's the gospel. And the people are terrified. Like we've seen in verses 6 through 12, they're bewildered and amazed and astonished and perplexed, much like they were at Mount Sinai. But then we look at this passage in Acts 2 and and where the people at Sinai turned away because they were filled with terror and dread at the thought of being in the presence of this holy God who would destroy them because he's holy and they're sinful. Instead of that happening in Acts chapter 2, they're not turning away from God. Why are they not turning away from God? Because in Acts chapter 2, they're not turning away because they are hearing for the very first time in their very own language that Jesus Christ has died in their place and for their sins, and he has risen again. They are hearing for the very first time in their own languages the mighty works of God on their behalf. They're hearing that even in their sin, they have a mediator greater than Moses who steps in for them, and his name is Jesus Christ. And they're hearing in their own language that even though they deserve to be destroyed by God as punishment for their sin, they have a mediator who's greater than Moses who takes all of that judgment upon himself at the cross and his name is Jesus Christ. And they're about to hear only a few verses later in Acts chapter two as Peter stands up and preaches that if they will repent and believe in Jesus Christ that they will be saved. And so now, some of them, instead of running away, are pressing in and they're asking, what does this mean? Shouldn't we be asking the same question? What does all of this mean? What does it mean for us that the Spirit's power is unrestrained and unexpected and unequaled and unhindered and unparalleled and unlimited and unfathomable? What does this mean? I believe that we can see right here in this passage three responses for what it means for us. So here's our three answers. What does this mean? First of all, it means that we need to listen for what the Spirit of God is doing. Just like verse 2, they could hear the sound from heaven. They could hear it with their ears. They could hear what the Spirit of God was doing. They could hear the sound from heaven like a mighty rushing wind and and it filled the place. We need to listen. We need to hear what the Spirit of God is doing. And the best place for this to begin is every time that you sit down and open your Bible to read it, instead of just jumping in and reading whatever it is that you have in front of you to read that day, just pausing and praying, Spirit of God, help me to understand what you are saying to me. Help me to understand what you're saying in your word and help me to apply this to my life. Spirit of God, stir up my affections for Jesus Christ. Spirit of God, stir up my heart to love Jesus more. Spirit of God, stir up my heart to want less of myself and more of Jesus within my life. And just like that mighty rushing wind comes into that place, so the Spirit of God will come rushing to you because that is the prayer that the Spirit of God loves to answer. 
He loves to answer the prayer because the Spirit of God wants to come into your life, wants to come into my life, wants to come into the life of this church and do the primary thing for which he has been sent, and that is to exalt the name of Jesus Christ within our lives. The Spirit of God is ready and willing to do that. We must listen for what the Spirit of God is doing, which leads us then to the second answer. We need to see how the Spirit of God is working. Again, you can see it right in this passage, verse 3. They could see these tongues of fire. They could see as these tongues of fire are landing on the heads of everybody around them. They, verse 3 says that these tongues of fire appeared to them. They could see them, and, and they rested on them. They could see how the Spirit of God was working. I've had a few conversations with some people in our church over the past few weeks, conversations about sharing the gospel with family and friends. I, I just had another conversation after our first service this morning with another guy, same situation, sharing the gospel with, uh, with our family and our friends and, and getting rejected. I shared one of those stories with you a, a couple of weeks ago, and, and it's not just a little bit of rejection. It's like flat out, no doubt about it, stop talking to me about this, that kind of rejection. And the enemy would love nothing more than for us to get so discouraged that we just give up having those conversations with the people that we love. But think about this. What would happen if we were to step back from those experiences where we get so discouraged and pray and realize that even in what we perceive to be the rejection, that the Spirit of God is still bringing conviction? to realize that because we're being rejected does not mean that the Spirit of God is failing. It doesn't even mean that we're failing necessarily. But that the Spirit of God is in that moment undoubtedly working in thousands of ways in that person's life that we cannot even see. That we don't even know. Just listen with spiritual ears to the conversations that you're having at work. So listen with spiritual ears to the conversations that you're having with your kids or, or that you have with your friends at school or just listen with spiritual ears and watch with spiritual eyes for what God is already doing. You don't need to go into somebody else's life and create something new for God to do. He's already doing something. So just ask him. Just ask, Spirit of God, show me what you're doing in that person's life and how you desire to use me in that. Just ask him, Spirit of God, show me what you're doing in my own life. Teach me. Like we need to listen for what the Spirit of God is doing. We need to see how the Spirit of God is working. And then finally, this, number three, we need to go where the Spirit of God is sending. That is the whole point of the filling of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. The Spirit of God is coming to permanently dwell in his people to give the believers the ability the power, the boldness, the courage to go and tell people that there is a God who loves them and a Savior who died for them. And wouldn't you know it, later in that very same chapter, Acts chapter 2, Peter stands up and, and by the power of this very same Holy Spirit, he preaches this first sermon among an unbelieving crowd and 3,000 people get saved in one single day. Like, that is amazing. And it just goes to show us that the Spirit of God is the power of God for the people of God to do the work of God. So I want to go back to that question that I asked us at the very beginning. Do we really understand and appreciate the power of the Spirit of God within us? Because if, if we do, 
Would it not make sense then that we offer all of our lives to God? Almost like a a blank check, because if we have the power of God living in us and the power of God flowing through us, then could not God do anything with us? And doesn't the same thing apply to us as a church? That we could surrender all that we do before God, sort of like a blank check, for the very same reasons, that, that we have the power of God living in us and the power of God flowing through us. So could God then not do anything with us? Like, think about this. If we truly believe that we have the power of the Spirit of the living God within us, just think, what could the Spirit of God do with this church? Like, what could God do in this city? What could God do in this region? And and what could God do in the nations from this gathering right here? Like, just think, what could God do with 500 people or whatever it is? Like, and, and don't just think of yourself right now. Like, like, think of yourself multiplied by 500. Like 500 of you. Kind of scary, isn't it? <laughs> I was thinking about that for me. Like 500 of me, that's absolutely terrifying. Like just imagine that, 500 introverts sitting in a corner somewhere not saying anything to anybody. Which actually sounds kind of nice on some days, but, <laughs> but, but seriously, just... Like, just think. Like, like in, in all seriousness, loved ones, what could happen if we could see the necessity and the urgency of turning away from our self-sufficiency and coming before the Spirit of God in humility and asking Him to so deeply break us that we are so totally dependent on his power. Where is the spirit of God sending you? Because make no mistake about it, we are all sent somewhere. Like we're gonna walk out these doors here in the next few minutes and we walk out of here a sent people. And my prayer is that every single one of us gathered here in this room right now will walk out these doors in the next few minutes with absolute crystal clarity in our hearts and in our minds that as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a follower of Jesus Christ, that you have the spirit of the living God living inside of you. And that as you go from here, you know with absolute clarity that the spirit of God is the power of God for the people of God to do the work of God.